I'll say hello to somebody tonight. Amen. I don't know how many of you were present this morning for our great service. God really, really blessed, and we give Him all the glory and all the praise. I gave a little mini report on our trip. We haven't been gone on vacation, but we have been gone. And it's very rare that we're gone two Sundays in a row, but we knew this was going to happen. When Gwendolyn's mom passed away in June, we sat down after the funeral. It was the day of the funeral, and after the funeral, we talked about maybe September or October uh, going back, and we knew it would take a, at least a week. It took, uh, with travel time, about two weeks to get there, to do the work and get back. And the work involved uh, a large amount of personal goods and property that needed to be dis distributed, dispersed. Those from the family that could use items uh, would uh, be part of the sorting process, and the rest of us would be the grunts. And so being the chief grunt, uh, we rented a truck, and in three days' time, a little over three days' time, moved a lot of things, a lot of miles, and got things in different places and so forth, and what remained stored five minutes away rather than 45 minutes away. But in the process, learned a lot, learned a lot about a lot of subjects, a lot of things, a lot of things. I'll never forget my first experience at learning about furniture. I was uh, in high school, and my best friend Buzz uh, had landed a job at where his dad was working. It was uh, Atlas Van Lines, uh, north of the Twin Cities in Minnesota. And uh, he said, you know, there's a job opening, so I figured I could make some money. But they didn't pay grunts very much in those days. But they did give us experience. We got to carry all the heavy stuff. We got to do all the long work and all those sorts of things. I learned what it was to take a strap, take a strap, put it around a refrigerator or a freezer, and lift that up and go up a narrow set of stairs, flight of stairs, to two different, uh, two different stories. I learned how to, how to stand and balance precariously on little catwalks with huge amounts of weight and, uh, and do all those sorts of things. And um, so I learned to move furniture, and so I had a little experience at it. I never said I was fond of it, but I learned how to do that. And my dad taught me that, that anything worth doing is worth doing well. Always do your best. And so I did my very best not to hate it and to work the hardest that I possibly could. And uh, when, when uh, in my second summer, that is my summer between uh, uh, first and second year of Bible college, I also worked at that. Then uh, a new Bible college was starting in Watertown, Wisconsin, Maranatha Baptist Bible College, and uh, they had purchased the property of the old Catholic Sacred Heart Seminary and, uh, in Watertown, and a bunch of furniture had been purchased or had been procured, and I was there uh, two weeks before school started, and we were moving furniture once again. We are moving furniture up flights of stairs and in narrow passageways, because it was old architecture. And monks had lived in a monastery there. It was very, they had a part that was called the cloister. It was cloistered. Cloister is a, is a thing, but it's also a descriptive term. It was very cloistered. And so we got around corners and so forth. And as we're lifting, the ever-present booming voice of the president of the institution, the fledgling institution, my shirt-tailed relative, I called him Uncle Myron, but he was Dr. B. Myron Cedarholm, famous preacher of the gospel and a defender of the local church and of the King James Bible. And he was standing over our shoulder and he would say, Men, men, he said, uh, uh, remember, uh, knuckles can heal, furniture can't. What he meant was if there was a sacrifice to be made, it would be of ourselves and not of the furniture. And so we moved a lot of furniture. Well, over the past several weeks, we moved a lot of furniture again. And I was reminded that knuckles definitely do heal. And, uh, but they're old arthritic knuckles now. And uh, then I described also the trip back. As we came back 1,200 miles, a road trip, about 1,000 of it was cornfields in the Midwest. And there were about 1,000 million dollar combines out there. So there's a billion dollars worth of combines shooting corn debris and dust straight up in the air. The sky was brown. Couldn't see anything but the moon and the North Star, one place we stayed. 
And uh, I breathed so much of that. I got this congestion. People say, how's the congestion? Well, my congestion's coming along just fine. Thank you very much. I don't have anything that you can catch. But uh, these, these are the things that go along with the adventure of life. And so I'm okay. I'm fine with my wife's doctoring, not doctrine. She's got good doctrine, too. You either get her, her uh, text, you know she's got good doctrine. But she, her good doctrine and uh, her prayers in our behalf, and that's what keeps us going. Tonight, I hope to finish the message. If I run out of voice, those of you on YouTube, uh, when, when it goes silent for just a second... Brother Ed's going to run up, and if he goes silent, then Brother Gabe's going to run up, and if he goes silent, they'll be tagging off like you know, WWA, tag team wrestling, and then Brother Tyler will come up and finish it off. But uh, amen, amen. But we hope to finish it off ourselves. I will serve thee because I love thee. I said tonight on the text that I sent out for all of our YouTube viewers that God has given me a message. He's laid it on my heart. For tonight's time slot, it'll fit with the theme of missions and service for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We hope that this will be both practical and dynamic truth. I hope that I can package it in a way that nobody will go to sleep on me tonight. The Bible teaches us in the middle section of the book of Romans. We have great doctrine chapters 1 through 8. And chapters 9 through 11 have to do with Israel and us being grafted into that tree. And then chapters 12 through 16 are practical applications of the doctrine that you learn in the first eight chapters. The book of Romans is a tremendous study. And if I have another 50 years, and I think I probably do, I'm computing, plan to live to be 120. So I have not quite, I have 48 more years, but uh, maybe over 48 years I can adequately scrape the surface of the great book known as Romans, Paul's epistle to the Romans. But in that 11th chapter, there is a statement, a verse, that we have referred to frequently as we've spoken with people, especially those of us as frail, flawed human beings. We stumble, don't we? Come on now. And then by the grace of God, we get up and He dusts us off and we go again. And we stumble and He helps us up and we go again. And we stumble and He helps us up again. And we keep on going. And one of the many lessons my dad taught me in the service of the King is the most important thing is to get back up on your feet and keep on going by the grace of God. Keep making forward progress. Don't let the world, the flesh, or the devil stop you. And the verse that has come in very handy on numerous occasions is the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance, Gabe. That's right. That's right. I've told you about the young man who came to me and he said he'd messed up and he was weeping. He said, I'm going to have to leave town. I said, why? Oh, I'm just rooted for myself. I said, how much you got left? What do you mean, how much have I got left? What are you, 50%, 25%, 33%? What do you got left? He said, oh, I got about 50%. I said, then give 100% of your 50% to God. Stop crying. Stop whining. The only thing we can do when we've messed up is confess. And then let God do His work of grace. Come on now. That's it. And after He's done His work of grace, I tell you what, the devil's got his little imps that come around. And you know who they are? They're the enemies. They're the friends. They're the ones close to you and far from you. They're the ones that are all around you. They're people that have an opinion. And you know, it's a free country, so everybody's got an opinion. The problem is... They don't always work the will of God in your life. So be careful who you listen to. Oh, you're not getting much better. I don't see how you can serve God. I don't know. You're just not going to make it. There was a young man in Bible college. We had, we had dormitory style. We had barrack style dormitories where we had bunks and there would be uh, four beds, two bunk beds, two double bunk beds, and then there would be a divider. And then there'd be... There'd be four more sleeping in the next section, four more. And uh, we just had lockers. That was the first year of, of Bible college at Maranatha. It was very primitive. If you're looking for the Taj Mahal of Bible college, that was not the place to be. But before the days of moderation, before the days of drawing back, before the days of compromise, 
We had a Bible college that was just about one step removed from the old local church Bible Institute where we had fire and brimstone preaching every day on the chapel platform and people going out and learning, you know, from scratch how to serve God and making their mistakes but, but asking God for forgiveness and going on. And we had a lot of people. We knew who we weren't. We knew what we weren't, but we knew who we were in Christ. That was a great bunch of guys. Not perfect. I look back now. Many of them are dead. Some of them are out of the ministry. But some of them are still serving God. And age is just a number until God calls you home. Come on. Age is just a number, Ray, until God calls you home. Keep on going. Keep on going, guys. Keep on going. Don't stop. Don't turn to the right or to the left. I still preach hell hot and heaven sweet. I still preach the King James Bible is the inspired and preserved Word of God for the English-speaking world. And yes, as I illustrated this morning, like that Russian woman, yeah, like that, like that African woman when they got their first Bible, when they got the first New Testament. I love the Word of God. I love the Gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Don't change. Don't alter. And don't let those who are near from you and far from you and those that you're trying to impress and those that you want to have their favor, you love. You love. Listen, I would love to have the, the well-spoken uh, words of other preachers, but I'm just not in their club. So that ain't happening. I would love to have a, a, a great, huge crowd, thousands of people hang on every word and say, oh, that was so... Eloquent. That was a silver-tongued oration. That ain't happening. That's not it. No. There's but one that I have to please. And his name is King Jesus. He's the one we're serving. One day we're going to bow the knee. Our tongue's going to confess that he's King of kings and Lord of lords. I'm going to long for him to say, well done. I'm looking forward to seeing my mom and my dad and my grandparents on both sides. I'm looking forward to seeing my sister who's preceded me and others in the ministry. I preached the funerals for many, many great, near great uh, preachers and soul winners. And one day I'm going to join them, not as a great or a near great, but I'm going to join them in heaven. I get to go to the same heaven that the great and the near great go to. Amen. All because of the grace of God. The gifts... I don't know if I'm going to get past this. The gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. That means keep on serving. Don't quit. You out there in California, don't quit. I know you got a crazy governor. You've got an insane senator and representative. I know that. But that's no reason for you to give up and quit. I know they closed down the churches, but go out in the field and have church. Go out and win souls. Do what you can. Do what you can. You say, I only got 50% left. That's what people say. I only got 25% of the crowd. Then take 25% of the crowd and start to build for Jesus again. Start again. Start again. Keep starting again. You know the Christian life. I've described it to you. It's many comings to God. You come to God through the finished work of Jesus Christ to get saved. And then you just keep coming to God. You come to Him for supply. You come to him for satisfaction. I don't, come, I don't come to man for approval because that approval, if I get it, isn't worth anything in eternity. I come to God. I come to Jesus. I come to the Word of God. That's it. That's it. The Lord laid this on my heart. I've observed many men and women and their ministries over the past 50 plus years. And God has given me a little bit of perspective. You know, that's what you need when you're, when, you're, when you're doing artwork. You need perspective, don't you? You need to be able to gain perspective. Otherwise, you know, you got the eye or, that, or the ear or the foot in the wrong place on the painting. And that's what, how many of you paint or draw. You know, it's kind of, as long as you get all the parts up there, think it's okay. But there's got to be perspective. There's got to be perspective. And time will do that. People that started out with a bang, I've seen... A lot of young guys, a lot of young folks start out for the Lord and somehow, sadly, along the way, they quit. And that gives perspective. 
I haven't joined them in quitting. I'm not going to join them in quitting, but that's given perspective. I thank God for all of my friends. I thank God for all of my enemies. I thank God for all those who have made it and all those who have not. And all of this helps me to get proper perspective, Ed. I can look at it in proper perspective. Thank God for all the second, third, fourth, fifth chances. He's the God of the second chance. This is the church of the second chance. This right here, this book, this is the book of the second, third, fourth, fifth chance. Praise God for that. Tonight I want you to take your Bible with me. And we have been in the Psalms all day today. I don't know what it is, but the Lord led me to speak about revival from Psalm 85 in Sunday school. Verse number 6, we took the entire psalm. And then, then also I spoke from Psalm 67 in the morning service about the saving health uh, among the nations and what that really means. God wants nations and individuals and families and churches and society to be healthy in every way, not just physically, but also mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. God wants us to be entire and be in, in complete and be lined up with His will. So we were in the Psalms, and now tonight we're back in the Psalms again. So I've, I've called a, a good case of the Psalms tonight. The book of Psalms is the songbook of the Hebrews. Every word of it is inspired and preserved. And there are five kinds of Psalms. You want to write this down? Five kinds of Psalms. The first kind, and perhaps the most frequent and the most familiar, is a psalm of praise. Praise ye the Lord. Sometimes you'll have uh, praise ye the Lord or hallelujah means the same thing. We have a psalm of praise for God's greatness, for who He is, for what He does, continues to do. We could spend all day on praising Him, couldn't we? We need to praise the Lord always in everything. Give thanks and praise Him in spite of and for the things that He has done in and through us. Number two kind of psalm is a psalm of wisdom. Just like there are wisdom proverbs and wisdom uh, writings in Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon and so forth, we have, we have wisdom psalms. And then three, we have royal psalms where we see the exaltation and uh, how the applications, the symbolisms apply to, uh, to our King of Kings and to our status as children of the King. Number four kind of, of, pray, of uh, psalm is a thanksgiving psalm. And we have several of those. And uh, we, we take these around Thanksgiving season and, and build many messages and many lessons. And then last of all, there is number five, the psalm that's known as the lament. The lament, how sad, a lot of weeping, a lot of sorrow, because man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. We know that this is a veil of tears and sorrow. We have that in all of these uh, psalms. We have that evident. Psalm 84 reminds us that communion with God, that is being right there where we can be with God and speak to God and He can speak to us. That communion with God, so important, should be our high priority every day. Time with God should be so high. It's, it's a high and a holy privilege. If you don't learn anything else, let's, uh, let's learn how important it is for us because He first loved us to love Him back with that same love. And we need to love Him like the Course says, I love Him better every D-A-Y. We need to love Him better every day. A lack of that, a failure to love the Lord better and better every day, to realize His sweetness, His increasing sweetness, will cause us to focus on other things, perhaps bitter things or difficult things or unequal things or things that we don't understand, incomprehensible things. And then we get confused and then we get misled and we're off to the side, to the right or to the left. And we're not able to function as a believer ought to. We need to stay focused on our sweet Savior, Jesus Christ. And today I was, I was over here and I was all by myself and with my croaky voice, I was singing, sweet Jesus, sweet Jesus, what a wonder 
you are. And that's so true. Jesus. 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 And I don't mean to go emotional on you, but there ought to be some emotion somewhere in this, in this old, steeled, Baptist framework. There ought to be a heart that beats warm. Amen. Brother Hiles used to say, want to have a, a Baptist head, a Pentecostal heart, and Jehovah's Witness feet. <laughs> I like that. Keep on going. Amen. Amen. He says the problem is most Baptists, you know, they've got, they've got Catholic heads and they're mixed up in their doctrine. They're all messed up, you know, and they've got Episcopalian hearts and, and uh, you know, they've got, uh, they got Presbyterian feet or something. I'm not sure how that goes, but uh, I want my life to reflect the great love that God has bestowed upon me undeserved, un, un, uh, unknown prior to experiencing it. I didn't initiate it. He initiated it. He's the one. He first loved me. But now that I've, now that I've experienced it, I want to revel in it. There is no other love like the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love my wife with all my heart. And we've kept our vows all these years, sweetie. Amen. And she loves me. I, I don't deserve that love. That's undeserved love. But we love each other completely. But our love, as strong as that is, and as long as it has been, is just a drop in the bucket compared to the great love of the Lord Jesus Christ. He loves us so much. Not because of, but in spite of us. In spite of us. I'm talking to you tonight and to folks out here on YouTube and everybody that's going to view this I hope, this, I hope enough people see this. It'll make a, an impact, that at least uh, more than just a stone being tossed into the pond, but that ripples will go out and that maybe, maybe over a wide area, people will want to love Jesus more. They'll want to serve Jesus more. That's it. Maybe off in a prison cell somewhere. Uh, maybe a lonely little place where someone is and they don't think anybody cares for them, but Jesus cares. Think about that. Think about that. I want to talk to you about being the happiest and the most blessed that you can be as a Christian. Happiness is not our goal. It's a byproduct of being in, finding, doing, being part of the will of God. And along the way, we discover some happiness and some, a little bit of heaven. Kingsman used to sing a song, there's a little bit of heaven on this side. I like that. I like that. Everything over here isn't sadness. Everything over here isn't painful. But there's some happiness. There's some joy on this side. There's the joy of the Lord. That's our strength. And I am reminded that our chief purpose, our chief end, is to glorify God and to joy Him, enjoy Him forever. That's it. That's it. Would you follow with me as I read Psalm 84? How amiable are thy tabernacles, O, o Lord of hosts. The tabernacles, the tents, think of the tents. The tents that are, that are scribed to the Lord. The tents, there was of course the temporary dwelling place of the Shekinah glory under that tent known as the tabernacle. People lived in these tents for 40 years and God provided for their needs. Now, whenever I'm sure Mrs. Whoever began to think about what she didn't have, she wanted a split-level house. Instead, she had a tent that was on the sand. I'm sure that Mr. Whoever out there in the wilderness said, yes, but we can, we can just go a few steps over here to the center of the camp, and we can go in to that wide gate that's wide enough for everybody to go in. Whosoever will may come. And we can go up, we can go up and, and we, can offer, we can have the sacrifice offered. And because of that, uh, we can approach unto God whose presence, Shekinah glory, is there in the most holy place. We've got God right in the middle of where we live. Think about that. And today, my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost and so is yours. And we have the presence of the Lord in our life. And whenever we desire communion, we don't have to walk 50 feet or 50 yards or or 500 feet or 500 yards. 
Why? We are indwelt by the Spirit of God. Think about that. And I can be in the Word with Him this morning, this noon, this night. I can be there with Him. That's a wonderful truth. My soul. Now here it is. We've got to get there. This is some place where you might not be. And you might not ever have been there, but I am suspecting that in many cases, the people who are viewing tonight what I'm having to say on this important subject of your nearness, your closeness, your, your walk with the Lord, a closer walk. And there was a time in the past when you were closer than you are right now. And you do what this says, my soul longeth. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. He's not just somebody that we imagine. He's somebody who is real and is within us. The reality of the indwelling Spirit of God Himself is an overpowering, overwhelming truth. So much so that when we get the flesh out of the way, this, this can almost physically knock us over and cause us to sit there in a state of, of, of complete exhaustion. The presence of God can be so strong in our life that we just have to sit there and take in who God is. I can't comprehend Him because He's incomprehensible. He's beyond my powers of comprehension. But I can experience Him. There's no limitation, Christian brother and sister, to experiencing the fullness of the Spirit. We are Baptists. And because we are Baptists, we tend to be a little gun shy of the subject of the Holy Spirit. Come on now. Yep. Yep. You know, the old Pentecostals, they, they come down the road and they, they put up a building and they hoop and they shout and they holler. And all the Baptists who are tired of the deadness of the Baptist church, out of, out of a, a lack of whatever it is, excitement, decide to go down there and they get bad doctrine. But they get a good feeling. Now we have a choice. We can be here and have right doctrine and still feel good about it. Amen. And more specifically, we can experience Him. Lord, I want you to walk in my shoes today. Lord, I want you to, I want you to feel in and through my life what this world is experiencing and then guide me, Holy Spirit, to say the things I should. But more importantly, I think for us as believers in the 21st century, not to speak out when we should be careful about saying something. There's too much frivolous, unspiritual uh, language, verbiage that comes from us. And we need to be directed by the Spirit in our thinking, in our speaking, in our body language. Walk in my shoes, Lord. Walk through me. Move through me. Amen. Look at this. Look, look how far down the Lord condescends. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Here you go. Even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Now I know, if you want to talk about nature and God's fingerprints on creation, I agree. I'd be the first proponent of that. We're the ones who promote acts and facts and biblical creationism. That's it. But here I believe there is a symbolism. Sometimes, wasn't it Jesus Christ who taught about the sparrows and how, though they are not valued by man, they are by God. And God knows when a sparrow falls. You know what I'm talking about? And here we have the sparrow hath found an house. That sparrow that's not valued by mankind, that has a very low estimate in the eyes. Listen, I'm that sparrow. And I found a home. And my home is where? In the presence of God Almighty, the Creator. And even though other people might not see my value, God knows. He knows me. Amen. And I can, I can raise my young there. We can raise our young. This refers not only to our physical families, but also to those generations that are coming behind us. And men, women, we've got to leave. We've got to leave something for that next generation.
How many times have I read or quoted portions of that verse, uh, the man that built the bridge at the, at, the, at, the, at the end of day, he was building, finishing that bridge, and they said, why are you building that bridge? Don't you know that day is almost done? He said, well, another young man must pass this way. I want to leave something for those who are coming after. I don't want to vacate this place that God has blessed me with that I don't deserve without leaving it in the good hands of the next generations, those that are coming along. And I don't want them just to have feel-good contemporary ministry, but rather a biblically-based, a King James Bible, old-fashioned, capital B, capital A, capital P, capital T, capital I, capital S, capital T, Baptist Bible-believing ministry. So I don't have to come back and haunt them so they get it right. All right. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee. Selah. Stop and think about it. In all of these psalms, we have Selah. Everything we've preached today and taught today, Selah. Selah, 74 times. 74 times in the book of Psalms. It means, well, think of that. Stop and think about that. Consider that. This is something that blows you away, takes your breath away makes you sit down and think about God, first of all, then the work of God, and then He's chosen me. Why does He want me? I'm telling you, the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee. Not in self. Not in the, not in the local ministerial fellowship. Not in the area-wide or regional Baptist fellowship or, or association of churches but their strength, his strength is in the Lord in whose heart are the ways of them who passing through the valley of Baca make it a well. That's the valley of tears. A number of my mentors who experienced themselves great disappointments, one of my mentors was turned on by just about everybody in fundamentalism and kept on going. Didn't quit. He knew some tears. He shared some experiences with me. Another, another had a church taken right out from under him. I mean, that was it. He knew some tears. My dad knew some tears. We've known some tears along the way. And we're not feeling sorry for ourselves. But you know what? God takes account of all our tears. And there's that scripture about the bottle that he keeps them in. There is a record of everything you go through. God knows and understands. And Jesus, the God-man, came down here. And he was a what? A man of sorrows and acquainted with our griefs. And Jesus understands. And Jesus knows your heartache. And jo Jesus knows how badly you've been treated from time to time. And that's enough. That's enough. That's all we need is Jesus. He knows. And that well. Why do you have a well? Why do you have a gathering place? Because a lesson is learned from all of this, and that is, we aren't here to stay. I'm not going to stay in the valley of the tears. I'm going to move on higher. I'm going to move out of here. My final address is going to be up yonder in glory, where God shall what? Wipe away all tears. I'm moving up from Baca. I'm going to move up from Baca to glory I'm going to move from Baca to Beulah. Hey, that makes good title. From Baca to Beulah. God is good. God is good. He teaches us. Along the way, you're going to have a younger brother or sister in Christ that's going to come along and they're just going to say, life's so tough. I don't know if I can make it. And you say, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let's not have any of that. We're going to use this as a learning experience, but we're going to allow this not to make us bitter, but to make us better. How many of you tonight say, I've had an experience that if I let it make me bitter, but I want it to make me better. Come on, raise your hands. Amen. Amen. That's it. That's it. 
The rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. God enables us. He gives us from grace to grace, from strength to strength. There it is, the ability to go on, to move on. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. So far we've seen in this, in this important psalm how important, how vital it is for us to be connected to God. He's the vine. Jesus is the vine. And we are the branches. We've got to be in Him, abiding in Him. We've got to depend upon Him for our sustenance. We've got to depend upon Him for our, for our grace to go on and to keep on moving. Praise the Lord. Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of Thine anointed. There it is. Verse 10. For a day in Thy courts is better than a thousand. Just being in the presence of the Lord makes it worth it all. It's better than having a call to a great big, uh, fancy, expensive situation. Just being with the Lord. That's it. Keep on going. We don't measure our progress or success by the accolades of man or by the measurements of man. We measure our progress by the approval and the blessing of the Lord in our life. As we take that step, He energizes us and He says, Good job. Now let's take the next step together and together and together and together and together. And whether we're walking on solid ground or walking on water with Him, we're with Him. That's it. The closeness, the communion, that's so important. Can't trade anything in this world that comes close to that. Day in thy courts is better than a thousand. Here it is. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly. That means as we are revealed the truth, we, we strive by the grace of God to line up with the Word of God. That's what it means to be an upright individual. O Lord of hosts, I mean, He's all-powerful. Blessed is the man that trusteth in Thee. So trust and faith are key here. That's the main thing. I don't see the next step, but I'm taking that next step by faith. I'm trusting in Him. I'm trusting in the one that I'm having communion with, the one that I'm connected to, the one I'm abiding in, the one who is helping me. And every step I take and every, every bit of progress that's being made, He is letting me know and, and He's approving of it and He's saying, that's what I want, that's what I want. And there's blessing and there's blessing and there's blessing. Sometimes I can't even express myself what God is saying and doing, but I know that He is. I know that He is at work. How many of you know what I'm talking about? There are times when I can't express it, but I know He's there, and I know He's working, and I know I, at least I'm on the same page with Him, and I'm going that direction. You know what I'm talking about? We don't have to be able to intellectually analyze God, whom we're incapable of analyzing anyway. He's told us what we know about Him, not so that we can exalt ourselves and say, see what I know? See how much, how far I've come in this way? But it's so that we will have that thing called trust, that thing called faith. God's sufficiency is great enough to meet our need. But when He calls us, sometimes He calls us to be a doorkeeper. A doorkeeper. And I decided to focus in on this for the next couple of minutes. A doorkeeper? Why be a doorkeeper? Similar translation of this in literature would render it gatekeeper. Doorkeeper, gatekeeper, similar idea. The same word translated in our King James Bible in 2 Samuel and 2 Kings is porter. Porter. And that's where that name comes from. It's... it's it is an essential position that requires a unique combination of humility and yet there is a, a sense of dignity in that. So how is it possible to, to have a job that's not exalted in the eyes of man and yet have dignity? Because you know that's where God needs and would have us to be. It's where He wants us to be. 
Now, God could put anybody there. So in that sense, He doesn't need us. But He has chosen us to be there as a doorkeeper. And here, the psalmist is saying, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Now, the tents of wickedness is a reference to the most vile kind of wickedness. If you take the opposite of the holy worship of God's people when they were spot on, you have the carnal and fleshly worship of the pagans, and that's the type of wickedness that's being referred to. The most blatant, carnal, rampant, nasty sin that you can imagine. And yet, <clears throat> those are the extremes to which we are capable. We can yield to God, and we can do this, this humble but dignified task. Or we can just let loose and be carnal and just do whatever we want to, but there'll be a price to pay. That's it. The duties of those at the threshold, at the, at the door or the gate, the porters, the duties of those at the temple were to open and to close. Very important. Open to those that could come in and close to those that, the, that had to stay out. There was security in one sense. But also there was much more. There was the collection of free will offerings. That is, the, the stewardship of those things in order to keep the ministry uh, going forward and uh, to maintain it. And yet, there's, there's always the, the carnal temptation. But they're entrusted with this stewardship. There's the care of the sacred vessels and, and not misusing them, not using them like Belshazzar did having a drunken feast there in Babylon or, or misusing the temple as they did in Ezekiel's day with all the vile and wicked activity that was going on. Who's responsible to make sure that right things get done in the right way? The doorkeeper. The porter. Very important. An honorable position. Not exalted... But in the case of Persia, the doorkeepers were the highest officers in the king's guard. So there is that area of nobility. It's interesting that that's the case in Esther chapter 2 and chapter 6. They formed a sacred order, a brotherhood of sort. There is a fellowship. And while they're serving together, even though, hey brother, though we're not up there uh, in the throne room, we're not up there uh, in other places where uh, those who have a, an exalted position might be, we have a vital position, and that is to keep the door, to let in and to keep out, to provide security, to have stewardship of the free will offerings, to take care of the sacred vessels. This is important. And we do it together. There's a fellowship. There's a brotherhood. To guard the gates of Jehovah to prevent anything unclean from entering. Sometimes in Bible history, they were Levites. And they came on a seven-day rotation. And they looked forward to their turn to be a humble doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. You have your opportunity to serve the Lord wherever it is, wherever He calls you. We are, we are hands and feet and fingers and toes and so forth, all the different parts of the body as it says in 1 Corinthians and Romans chapter 12. We understand that we're all part of the body, part of a living thing. Well, they were a, an important cog in the wheel, and so are we. We're in a humble place of service, but not demeaned. Noble, and yet dignified. Why? Because God has said, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all to the glory of God. Our job is to glorify God. I remember there have been a few occasions when I was in the airport back in the day when there was a, a shoeshine fellow there. And you know what? I liked the job he did. You know, some people say, shoeshine. There was a style, a way in which he did it. And when he got done, I asked him what the charge was, and I gave him a tip bigger than the charge. I remember when we first began in ministry, we didn't hardly have two dimes to put together. Had a few dollars, but we'd go out uh, 
for a special date, maybe have a cup of coffee or a small breakfast or something, and there would be a, a, a waiter, a server, and with such style and with such, such class, would do his job. Whatever the bill was, I would give a larger tip than the bill. And some people think I'm crazy, but I recognized the skill and, and the, uh, the, uh, uh, the attitude and uh, the demeanor of that individual. And you know what? It has been well said. There are no small churches. There are no small ministries. There are no small pastorates. There are no small places to serve. Just great opportunities for God. And the one person or the five people or the ten people to whom we minister and the Spirit of God touches their heart and turns them about and they begin to go in the right direction might in turn affect hundreds of others. Who knows what might come from that? A great revival, a great uh, swelling tide. Who knows what's going to come from that? But we need to be but one thing and that is faithful. That's it. And so how are we to be? As I read in this scripture, we need to know where we are, know what our job is and who we are, and know what our boundaries are that should never be violated. There it is. Where we are, who and what we do, and know what we never violate. That's it. And the answer to that is we should be a servant. And not a servant of the flesh. Not the servant of sin. Not a servant of Satan. But a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Let's be Jesus men and Jesus women and Jesus boys and Jesus girls. Amen. Let's not worry about anybody else. Let's not worry about anybody else's brand or anybody else's designation. Let's be Jesus men and Jesus women. Let's be Jesus families. Let's be Jesus servants. A servant has to have a servant's heart. A servant has to have a servant's head. Think like a servant. And then a servant has to have a servant's hands and do what a servant needs to do. I'd add to that in missions month, we need to have a servant's feet and go where he calls us to go. Little as much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. No small ministries. No small churches. No small service for the King of Kings. In that book, The Kneeling Christian, written by an anonymous author, there's a story of a Chinese pastor. I've said before, I'll say it again. He was many years, I think 19 years, in prison camp for preaching the gospel in communist China. And in that camp, he chose the most despicable job, digging out the latrine for one reason. Because the guards couldn't stand to stand guard on him when he was digging out the latrine. So down in that filth, in that, I mean, unimaginable stench, he's all alone. And he began to sing in Chinese hymns and gospel choruses about the Lord, how great He is, how wonderful He is. But He would sing to the Lord as well. See, how can you, in a, in a trench that's filled with filth, that even the guards can't stand to be around, how can you sing about the Lord Jesus Christ and sing to the Lord Jesus Christ? Because you see, he's greater. And he's the rose of Sharon. He smells sweeter. He's the lily of the valley. Amen. Amen. When your situation is just as rotten as that trench, you sing to the one that's sweeter than the bitterness and the nastiness of the trial that you're going through and the difficulty. You out there, somebody out there is ready to quit the ministry right now. Don't quit. Don't give up. When you're down there in that trench, just sing about Jesus and sing to Jesus and remember how sweet He is and how good He is. And these troubles and these trials aren't going to last forever. They're going to be gone pretty soon. Praise the Lord. I've never experienced what that preacher in China experienced. Though I've had some bitterness and so have you. 
I've tasted of and smelled of some bitter situations in the ministry. Some of the churches where I've served, some of the folks who've done us dirty, some of those who've lied about us and tried to put us out of the ministry. It's not been easy all the time, and I'm not complaining, but I think about the words of Brother Blackman up there in Pennsylvania when he used to get up and he would testify and he'd say, and I'm just asking Jesus, let me stand in the short line, Jesus. Let me stand in the short line. The short line is the line where nobody wants to be, where nobody wants to serve. Lord Jesus, let me be in the short line. Let me serve in the short line. And I'm saying to you tonight, if there's no other place to serve, be in the short line. When you're going through the hard times, think of that, of that Chinese pastor down in that trench singing of Jesus. And to Jesus, the Rose of Sharon. And remember what I taped up here, over there on the instruments. It is an honor and a privilege to serve the Lord at Central Baptist Church. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? How many of you tonight would say, Preacher, something in that message spoke to my heart. Slip your hand up high. Something spoke to my heart. Amen. Amen. May we go on for God. May we serve Him. Let's not listen to the world, the flesh, or the devil. We're with Jesus. We're in communion with Him. We're abiding in Him. Because of that closeness, we can go on for Him. I trust now that we will. If you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right now, will you call on Him and say, Lord Jesus, come in my heart and save me right now. Take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. And if you prayed that prayer, I want you to come and tell me. Because of Jesus